God, we do pause and we declare that there is no one like you. God, there is no God like you. Lord, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he is able to save us who are far from you. God, we thank you that he is able to break the chains of sin and shame and guilt. Lord, he is able to give us new life in you. And Lord, as we turn our attention to global missions, Lord, we pray that you would arrest us with your glory this morning. God, we pray that your name would be lifted up in this moment, Lord, that you would raise our eyes upward to see you. And God, would you stir in us to being a church that goes and a church that sends. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am super excited that it's REACH. I I absolutely love REACH. I've been um, waiting to preach this message for some time, and I just love that we are a church that just pauses for a couple of weeks, and we look beyond ourselves. We look beyond what God is doing in Fishers, what God is doing in Indianapolis, what God is doing in Indiana and in America and North America, and we look at what God is doing all across the world. And, uh, and so today is a day in which we look to see what, what he has to say about global missions in his word. And before we jump in, I'm just, I'm just curious, do we have any missionaries in, in the room with us? If you could just raise your hand, just curious, do we have any with us today? No? Okay. Um, hate to do this, but, okay, so we got one, two, okay, there. So I hate to do this, but I started out with a trick question this morning, okay, because Theologically and biblically, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary, okay? So all of your hands should have been raised if you're a follower of Jesus, because according to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission is for us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's for all followers of Jesus. And so that's not an optional command, but we are all missionaries. Now, granted, some of us are called to being missionaries cross-culturally, overseas. And yet the rest of us are still called to be missionaries. If you're called to stay here in Fishers, Noblesville, and the surrounding area, you're still called to being a missionary in this community. Now your vocation might be a teacher or a financial advisor, or maybe your stay-at-home mom, but you're still called to participate in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. In fact, as I was just preparing for this message, I was just struck by how incredibly strategic REACH actually is. That we do this for two weeks out of the year because REACH forces us to understand what our role is as followers of Jesus. That we're all called to partake in the Great Commission. And what REACH also does is REACH helps us live out our fourth strategy point at College Park Church, which is to embrace a calling. That at College Park Church, we have a four-fold strategy in order to accomplish our mission which is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. So number one, we want to exalt Christ. Number two, experience community. Number three, we want to equip the church. And then number four is to embrace a calling and reach helps us to understand more of what that means. Because embracing a calling, what we mean by that is that each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus has a calling to live on mission. And some of us are living on mission here locally. Others of us are called overseas. But we're all called to live out the gospel where we are because we've all been gifted by God and we want to use those gifts. 
And so REACH helps us understand what that calling actually is. And so what I want us to see this morning is that every single one of us is called to engage in global missions on some level. In fact, just, um, just to show you my cards this morning, when I think about our congregation, I really, I really think about our congregation in three different groups of people. That there's group number one where um, if you're in this group, you, you love Jesus and, and you're sold out to the gospel and, and you're passionate about Jesus, you're, you're passionate about global missions, you're fully engaged in the Great Commission, perhaps you've gone on some vision trips, but you pray for our missionaries, you give towards our global missions, and, and maybe if you're in this group, perhaps you've felt that tug to go overseas as a missionary, but that's, that's group number one, and some of you are in that group. And then there's group number two, where you love Jesus and you're passionate about Jesus, but if you are honest, understanding what it means to engage in global missions is still a little abstract for you. That there's still a gap between, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to know his word, but how to actually engage in global missions is, is still a little bit abstract. And you appreciate reach, but perhaps even you would admit that there are more relevant topics to be preaching on. And then there's group number three, where if we were just honest, you, you don't really care about reach. Like you're not even open to reach. You're not aware that there are dozens upon dozens of passages of Scripture about how God is for the nations. And perhaps the reason why you might be in group number three today is because you might not even be a Christian today yet. And, and we love that you're here and we welcome you that you're here, but perhaps you're in this group because either you're not saved, you don't know Jesus, or you're just unaware of all of the scripture passages that talk about God being for the nations. And so this morning, my goal and my hope and my prayer is that no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what group that you're in, my prayer is that you would just take a step today. Just one step. Just one step in, in more faithfully participating in the Great Commission today. And I don't know what that step is for you. I don't know what group that you might find yourself in today. Maybe you're here and, and you might feel a burden and a passion to leave Fishers, to leave Indiana, to leave America, and to go and to be a missionary cross-culturally and, and to be a missionary maybe overseas. Maybe that's your step today, and, and I'm praying for that, and I'm hoping that that takes place. But maybe others of us, we just, our step is, man, I just need to pray for our missionaries more consistently or maybe others of us, our step is, I need to give more faithfully to our missions. Or maybe others of us, your step is, I need to know this Jesus. I need to come to know Jesus in a saving way. I need to know this God who is for the nations. Look, I don't know what your step is today, but I want you to start thinking about your own um, spiritual condition as it relates to your engagement globally and think through, what does it look like for me just to take a step today and next week to better engage in global missions. And so this morning, I don't know what your step is, but I, I do know this, is that you and I will never be empowered to taking that step unless we see and cherish the glory of God today. I firmly believe that with all that I am, that, that you and I will not be motivated to taking that step by just hearing a motivational talk by Chris Beals. 
Like, I'm just not that good. I'm not that good of a preacher to, to motivate you to taking that step. Like, you're not gonna be motivated today out of guilt. And I know that. You're not gonna be motivated today by, by seeing the need that there are 7.2 billion people in the world and 3 billion of those people are considered unreached, which means they have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's over 6,500 unreached people groups. But even, even understanding the need still really won't motivate you to having a lasting impact in taking a step to, to more engagement in global missions. That the only way is if you see and if you cherish how big God is and his glory and his majesty. In fact, um, John Stott, who uh, was an influential pastor in the 20, 20th century, said this about the glory of God in missions. He said, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ, that only one imperialism is Christian, and that is concern for his imperial majesty, Jesus Christ, and for the glory of his empire. That when we talk about engaging in missions, that we have to start with God. We have to start with his glory and his majesty, because once we see how big God is and how glorious he is, that is what will propel us to further engagement in global missions. And I believe that Psalm 67, our psalm this morning, will help us do that. In fact, our psalm this morning is, is not very difficult. It's pretty straightforward. There's one overarching truth. In fact, one big idea that we'll just camp out on all morning, and it's this that God blesses his people for the purpose of his name being praised among the nations. So we'll spend the rest of our time just unpacking uh, this main idea, this big idea. In fact, I have three sections uh, in my sermon this morning. If you're taking notes, wondering uh, where we're headed. Uh, number one, we're going to look at the God who blesses today. Who is this God that blesses? And then number two, we'll look at why does God bless and then number three, what does that mean for us today? Okay, so three sections. Here is number one, the God who blesses. If you have your Bibles, we can look at uh, verse one together here. Psalmist begins just starting to talk about who God is in his glory. But he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Okay, so here's the number one thing that we learn about who God is. Who is the God that blesses, number one, is that he is a gracious Savior. That he is a gracious Savior. That the psalmist begins just talking about this grace that God uh, is and, and has given to his people. And so the psalmist begins in verse one with a request that is based on the high priestly blessing in Numbers chapter six. That in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that people would go to the priest and the priest would bless them saying, may God be gracious to you and bless you and make his face to shine upon you. Now notice in this passage, the psalmist actually asked God for three different things really in this verse alone, that he asked for God's grace, he asked for God's blessing, and he asked for God's face to shine upon them. 
Now, he does this because he knows that God is a gracious Savior. And this grace is is unmerited love. It's undeserved compassion. And so what the psalmist is asking God for is that he would not only not give them what they deserve, which is judgment, but he would give them what they don't deserve, which is mercy. May God bless you, not curse you, even though this is what all of us deserve, that all of us have sinned, all of us have offended God, that we deserve a curse, we deserve to be condemned. And yet what the psalmist is asking God for is to be blessed, to have a grace that is given to him through the kindness and love of Jesus Christ. Now, he not only requests for grace, but also for blessing. And I just want to point out that this blessing is both a spiritual blessing and a physical blessing. The evidence of that referring to a physical blessing is verse 6, where the psalmist declares that the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. This increase on the earth kind of clues us in to how the psalmist is referring to God blessing the land, that this is most likely referring to harvest time. And it's not only a physical blessing, but this is clearly a spiritual blessing that the psalmist is crying out to God for, that it's the blessing of forgiveness and salvation that God has granted to God's people, that he's poured out grace upon them. He's he's taken a sinful, broken people and has chosen them to have an intentional relationship with them. And then third, the third request is that God would shine his face upon them. It's interesting that God's face in the Old Testament is a metaphor for his presence. And so what the psalmist is actually asking for is for God's presence. So we think of Psalm 44, where when God hides his face, he withdraws his presence. So notice this, that the psalmist is not only asking for the hand of God, what can you give me? But the psalmist is also asking for God's face, for his presence. This is an an interesting observation as you're thinking about global missions, but as we think about how to approach God and, and even how to pray to God, that sometimes we fall into this habit where we come to God in prayer and we have our list of requests, right? We want God to fix this. We want God to do this. We want God to to be more engaged here. And and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that when when we bring our list. But if your prayer life is only about that list, then you're really only seeking the hand of God. You're really only seeking what God can give you. You're only seeking his gifts and not the giver. See, what the psalmist is is demonstrating for us is really a, a very valuable practice in the Christian life, that we not only seek the hand of God, but we also seek God's face, that we seek his presence, that we seek all that he is, so that we get to that point where if God doesn't answer anything off of our list, we're still content because we have his presence that we're still satisfied with God's face shining upon us with us experiencing his presence because we're seeking the giver and not just the gifts. And I was struck just being, um, being in Laos with Tim and, and with Chris Bell. And we spent time with, with our missionaries. And they lived out this principle so well that as we're asking them, hey, how can we pray for you? And Nathan and Jan Cole, the video that you just saw, their, their response just struck me. They said, you know, Chris, don't, don't pray for comfort for us. Don't even pray for safety. 
but pray that we would be fully satisfied in the presence of God every day. And he said that because he knows that being satisfied in the presence of God will lead to perseverance. And I'm just sitting there with, with Nathan and Jan and with their kids in this really kind of unsafe area of the world. And I say, don't pray for my safety. Pray that I would be satisfied with God's presence. In other words, pray that God's face would shine upon me. That we need to understand that if we want to be a going and a sending church, we need to be satisfied with the presence of God because if and when God calls you to go, that you're fine with leaving the comforts of America. So not only does the psalmist help us see that God is a gracious Savior, but number two, God is also a just judge. He is a just judge. Look with me at verse 4. He says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, and for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The psalmist declares that God judges the peoples with equity or fairness, and that when the judgment of the nations come, God will not be partial, that no one will be condemned unfairly, that all will be judged upon God's flawless righteousness, that we all will stand on equal footing before the judgment of God. And the standard of justice will be the same for all, that all who are covered by the blood and the righteousness of Christ will be saved. And yet those who aren't will be condemned. Man, when I, was, when I was studying this, and I was just thinking about God being the judge, the just judge, like it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I'm thinking about God being a judge, and I know that theologically, but kind of in the framework of, of global missions, that, that there will be a day in which men and women will stand before God and will be condemned to hell because they did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. That hell is a real place. And that there are men and women, even who are on the earth right now, who are headed for hell because there's no gospel around them. And I was just thinking about that. Just my, my heart became heavy with that reality that there are 7.2 billion people and 3 billion of those people have no access to the gospel. And there is a real judge that God will judge them. There is a real hell where they are going without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just stopped and I thought, about, man, what if I were them? That what if you were them? What if you were part of the unreached people groups? What if, what if you were part of the Lao people over there where many of the places in Laos is unreached? There's no access to the gospel. What if there really is a good news? That there really is a Savior, and his name is Jesus, who has paid for our sins. And, and if you're in Lao and you're part of the unreached people groups, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you that? Wouldn't you want somebody to, to go and to proclaim the good news that there is a real Savior who has paid for their sins? Wouldn't you want somebody from, from Fishers, from, from Indiana, to leave the comforts of all of this and to go and to proclaim that good news, to learn their language and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth? 
And if you're part of the unreached people groups, wouldn't you want not just a select few, not just four from that church, but wouldn't you want that whole church to be committed and passionate about the unreached people groups, to be giving, to be praying, to be leaning into that mission? I mean, I was just so struck by this. So struck that, man, what if I was, I was them? There's no gospel message around me. And yet the reality is, is that there is a just judge, that God will judge the people fairly. And seeing it from that perspective, just kind of turning and seeing God as a judge can motivate us to further engagement in global missions. Well, not only is he a just judge, but number three, he is a sovereign guide. He is a sovereign guide. Look again at verse four. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Now, the psalmist not only is highlighting God's graciousness and God being a just judge, but he's talking about how God actually guides the nations, which implies that God is guiding them somewhere, that God has an intentional plan for the nations And for God, you know, he's working out his plan, his sovereign plan through his people's prayers and through his people's evangelistic efforts. That just because God is sovereign and he has a plan and he's guiding the nations doesn't mean that we just sit on our hands, but it means that we engage with God's plan where he wants to save the nations. And so somewhere in this mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, that they're compatible because you look at scripture and there's both, right? And so God's sovereignty in his plan is he uses our prayers and our efforts to reach the nations. And the nations throughout scripture, through especially the Psalms, represent the great, the great mass of humankind, which is in rebellion against God and in which he will judge. And yet, the psalmist is pointing out here that they still stand within his plan of grace, That it is God's divine intention to bring blessing to the nations of the world. So you might be thinking, okay, what is this plan? Like, how does God actually accomplish his plan? Which leads us to section number two. Why does God bless? Okay, so we just looked at how who this God is that blesses, that he is a gracious savior, he is a just judge, he is a sovereign guide. But why does God bless? Why does God pour out his grace and his salvation upon his people? And what I want us to see is that there is something that is driving God's graciousness. That it's not only his glory, but there are three things in our passage that's actually driving why God blesses his people. I want us to see this in this psalm, that number one, he blesses his people in order to be known by the nations. And then number two, he blesses his people in order to be enjoyed by the nations. And then number three, he blesses his people in order to be feared by the nations. I did a little bit of of an experiment uh, this weekend with my daughter, Ellie. And uh, Ellie will turn three in a couple of months. And uh, we have some dear friends of ours from Ohio who uh, have been staying with us this weekend. And they have a two-year-old. Okay, his name is Eli, so there's already an arranged marriage in the works. But I did this experiment with Ellie. They were sitting on the couch together, 
and I had some food. I had some pretzels, and Ellie loves pretzels. And so I gave Ellie a handful of pretzels. And I said, okay, Ellie, I want you to know that I'm giving you these pretzels. I'm blessing you with these pretzels in order to give them to Eli. Okay, that, that's my intention. Okay, I don't know if you can comprehend what that word means, but my intention is for you to bless Eli. And if you know toddlers, you know exactly what happened next, that Ellie didn't quite understand, or maybe she didn't really agree with my intention and the purpose for me giving those pretzels to her. Now, I want to say this as lovingly as possible this morning, is that when it comes to God blessing us with salvation, and with God blessing us with his grace and with the gospel message, I I just wonder if we're any better than than my two-year-old. I say that as lovingly and as softly as possible, but but I just wonder if, if we really comprehend like God's intention for why he blesses us with salvation. I mean, is there really a difference, much of a difference, with what, what Ellie did on that couch and, and what we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think it's really kind of a failure on our part to fully comprehend God's intention for why he blesses and why he saves us that he has this greater purpose, more than just his glory, for why he has saved you. And I really think there's a danger in being blessed, and particularly with salvation, that we are so prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives. Let me say that again, that, that we are so prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives that we sometimes miss this, the, the reality that God has saved us, not just to save us, but he has saved us in order for us to go proclaim that gospel to other people. And let, me, let me flip this on its head. Let me, let me look at it from this perspective. I want you to think through this question with me, that if you were to assess how well we are doing with the Great Commission, okay, this is Jesus' last assignment, okay, to, this is really our main assignment, is to go and make disciples of all nations. How would you assess how the capital C church is doing with that? Like what, like what letter grade would you give the capital C church in that assignment? Now when you look at 7.2 billion people, and there are 3 billion people, 6,500 unreached people groups, like what letter grade would you give us? And maybe to make it a little bit more personal, like when you think about College Park Fishers, like what letter grade would you give us in how we're doing engaging with global missions and fulfilling the Great Commission? See, the, the reality is, and I, I just can't get past this, I can't, I can't get past the fact that there are three billion people who, whose knowledge of God, whose only knowledge of God is enough to damn them. That's all they know about God. According to Romans 1, they are without excuse. They know that there's a God through natural revelation, but they don't know that there's a Savior named Jesus. And that's it for them. Like, like that's, that's their story. Like, they are, they're almost hopeless. And I just, I just can't, I can't get that out of my mind and out of my heart. Just being in Southeast Asia, 
just walking around, just looking at all of these people with no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think, why? Like, why are there so many people who are, who are unreached? Why, why is the gospel not going forth? I think it's because we, we aren't understanding the intention of why God saves his people. And in our culture, we, we understand the importance of giver intent, don't we? That when you give something, whether it's money or whatever it is, like your intention, your purpose for that is really, really important. Like we're doing that Christmas offering this, this Christmas for, for the Brookside Initiative, right? And we're, we're excited, we're pumped for that. Many of us, if not all of us, will give towards that. But what if you decided to give towards the Christmas offering and, and to give towards Brookside? That's your intent. And you give that to the church. And the church decides to spend your money elsewhere. Okay? Think about that for a moment. Like, you'd be pretty upset, right? Like, I'd be upset, right? We, we would never do that. But, but your intent was violated, okay? And that would lead you to extreme frustration, probably anger. Now, think about God. Think about how frustrated you would be. Think about God who has sent his son Jesus to die for us with the intent of saving a group of people to then go and make him known to the nations, and yet they're just kind of sitting on it. Like you'd be a little bit frustrated. And so God's plan, hear me, God's plan for reaching the unreached people groups is you. Like your, your plan A, I'm plan A. Like this is what God, this is God's plan from the beginning of time, is to save people in order to go to the ends of the earth and to proclaim this gospel message. And I want you to see that in this psalm. So why does God bless? Number one, to be known among all the nations. That verse two just clearly states this. Let me read verses one and two again. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. So this blessing that we've seen in verse 1, this grace, was meant to eventually reach all the people groups of the world, that God's people were and are blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. Did you catch that in verse 2? That he says, God be gracious to us, bless us, have your face shine upon us, that or for the purpose of your way being known on earth so that your power will be made known among all the nations. So the psalmist's request here for blessing is not just to benefit themselves, but it's in order to bless others. In other words, that as God blesses his people abundantly, more than what we would deserve, the result should be that other nations would see God kind of flexing his power and his grace that would be attractive and appealing that God wants to be known by all the nations, that this is why he blesses. And this purpose is really seen all throughout Scripture. I'll just give you a few here. Genesis 12, okay, we'll start all the way back to Abram. When God first called Abram to himself, he said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, that I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even from the beginning, this is God's 
plan to bless a group of people in order to bless others. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. So all followers of Jesus who receive that blessing of salvation are to go and make this known among the nations. Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So look, we need to be aware that God's intention of why he blesses, why he gives the gift of the gospel is so that his way may be known among the nations. That the gospel not only goes in you, but the gospel goes through you. The gospel not only goes in you and it changes you from the inside out, makes you new, forgives you, but it then goes through you and it impacts those around you. That this gospel message not only saves you, but it sends you. Number two, second reason that God blesses is to be enjoyed and to be praised by all the nations. I love this. I'm a little excited today, so... To be honest with you, I got, I got ripped to shreds in Laos. I'll just, just be honest, by the Holy Spirit. I mean, man, sometimes you go on these, on these mission vision trips and, uh, and, and you think you're just going to be such a blessing to the people. You know, you're just going to be serving them. And, you know, and, and I felt like this, this truck via Holy Spirit just like ran over me with just humility and just, Chris, get over yourself. You know, get over your little church and fishers. And cast your eyes on me and what I'm doing throughout the world. Man, I just, I just got wrecked by my time over there. And, uh, and it's just been weeks later. And he's still using that. But look at this. He wants to be enjoyed by the nations. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. John Piper, in his incredibly powerful book, Let the Nations Be Glad, makes this statement. He said, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. I love that. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. And so as we engage in global missions, the goal is not just that people would know God, but that people would enjoy God, that they would be glad in God. That's not only in our psalm here today, but it's all throughout the psalm. Psalm 69, verse 32. Psalm 97, verse 1. Psalm 74 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love you and love your salvation say evermore, God is great that we want the nations to taste and see that the Lord is good. And really part of that purpose is really because this is where God's plan is headed. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. So this is, God, this is how God is guiding all the nations. This is his plan for all of mankind. Revelation 7, he says, After this I looked, 
and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who was slain. That's where everything is going. That's where everything is headed. And so if we know that to be true, that God wants to fill the nations with joy and gladness in order to praise him, what makes us think that he's not going to start now to do that? Like, if that's where we're going, like, God is, is fiercely committed to the joy of his people and to the gladness of the nations. I've been thinking about this a little bit. Like, the fact that God is fighting for your joy, like, just think about that for a moment. Like, God wants you to be filled with joy and everlasting joy is, is really underemphasized in the Christian life. That God, God wants you to be filled with joy, your cup of joy to be filled to the brim, to be overflowing with him. That's, that's God's intention for you. See, sometimes we think that God wants us to be joyful, wants us to be happy in him, but, but not too much, right? As if God's up there in heaven, sitting on his throne with his arms crossed, like, watching us, ready to pounce if we're too joyful. Like he's going to throw us a, a trial if we're too happy in him. And yeah, I think what the psalmist is getting at, really all of scripture, is that God wants to save a people and not make them miserable, but to fill them with joy. Like think about this for a moment. Why would God save a people and make them miserable? Like why would, like how would that give God glory? How would that attract the nations to the greatness of God if he saved you and made you bored? It wouldn't. Like, God wants to save you and fill you with overflowing joy in Christ so that you make Jesus not only convincing with your apologetics, but compelling with your joy. And so maybe your step today, if you want to engage in missions, fight for your joy. Fight, engage in the battle of your joy in Christ. Like find those things that stir up your affections for Jesus and just fill your life with them. Like wake up each day and say, I'm going to be joyful in Christ because I know others are looking at me and, and they need to see something different because God's plan is to attract the nations to himself partly through your joy and your gladness in Christ. Knowing that your enjoyment will lead to the nations being glad with him. So fight for your joy. And then the last thing here, that God blesses in order to be feared by all the nations, in order to be feared. Look at verse 7. That God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. That God aims to be enjoyed by all peoples, and he aims to be feared by all peoples. That God is jealous to be known to be enjoyed, but also to be feared. In fact, you could probably go as far as to say that God is, is displeased when people are bored with him. And this is why he blesses, that he blesses in order for us to be wowed by his greatness, to be so caught up in God's glory and his majesty to the point that it leads to a reverent awe and to say there is no one like our God. And this, having this healthy fear, something that he desires for all the nations will lead to obedience and to following after him. 
So, what does this mean for us? So, you might be sitting here there this morning thinking, okay, Chris, that's a really cute outline, you know, really powerful psalm, but like, how does this impact me? Like, how does this, how does this collide with me who lives in Hamilton County or the surrounding community? Like, how can I actually engage in global missions, like practically? Like, what are we actually doing? And Francis Chan said that our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Man, when you think about that for a moment, like, like when you look at your life, like what are you investing your life in? When you look at what you're investing your time in and your energy and your relational capacity and your resources and your money, is it really in things that will last forever? Is it really in the Great Commission or is it in things of this world? Like when you just do a self-assessment and you think about all of those things, your whole life, is it so that the nations would know the glory of God and the salvation that is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone? There are two just foundational questions that, that we as followers of Jesus should be constantly asking ourselves if we are to live on mission. Number one, what is God doing? And number two, how will you respond to what he is doing? What is God doing and how will you respond to what he is doing? Or as Henry Blackaby put it, see where God is working and then just join him in what he is doing. But that's how it kind of leads us to application and to practically living at the gospel, no matter if you're a missionary here or if you're a missionary overseas. And so let me just close our time this morning with six suggestions for your next step in engaging with global missions. Okay, six. And as we run through these six, uh, I'm just praying that you say, man, that is my one, or that is my six. I'm doing all six, okay? So, so just be, be sensitive, be aware. Maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging on you like, oh yeah, I need to do that more. I need to apply that as we run through these last six. Here's number one. Pray globally more consistently. Just, just pray. Like pray more consistently, maybe with your family, with your kids, with your friends, perhaps maybe even with your church family tonight at the Fresh Encounter service at 6 o'clock, but be more committed just to say, I need to pray for our missionaries. I need to pray for gospel fruit to not only bless us, but as Paul put it in Colossians 1, to, to, to bear fruit all around the world. But maybe this is your step. I just need to pray more consistently for the nations. And we have a resource back there on the table to help you uh, do that. Number two, is consume yourself with the glory of God. That the more that your heart is filled with, with an awe of who God is, with the bigness of who God is, with his majesty, and you see that God is actually for the nations, that will propel you to actually taking steps forward. Because the more that you see that God is God, the more that you will see that you are not. The more that you see God is glorious and that God is the king of kings, the more that you will see that you don't actually call the shots in your life. And I know that for me, I need to be reminded of that daily because I think that I'm in control, even as a pastor. And I need to surrender myself and get in his word and pray with other believers and talk to other believers about the glory of God because the more that I'm filled with that, the more that I just get over myself. And I need that every single day. Number three is Fill your mind with global missions. Fill your mind with global missions. What I mean by this is, is 
read about missionaries and the work that they've done. Read biographies. Like, allow a good biography. My, my favorite is uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret by Dr. Howard Taylor. When, when you read a book like that, like, it, it really does something to your soul. It really fills you with, with more of an awareness of what people have done and are doing globally for the name of God. Or Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper is another great book on global missions. Or you can take our precepts course at College Park North Indy starting in January. This is a 15-week class on the biblical and historical and cultural strategic layout of global missions. But just fill your mind with global missions. Because one of the dangers of hearing messages being preached, and even one of the dangers of reach, just to be upfront with you, is that we get really excited for a couple weeks, and then when Christmas comes, that fire starts to die out. And so when you have a good biography or, or you're in a good small group and you're talking about it, that keeps the fire alive. Number four, take a vision trip. Okay, take a vision trip. My, my vision for each and every one of us is for everybody at College Park Fishers to take a vision trip at some point in time. That might be incredibly just, just naive. I don't know. But like thinking about what will stir your affections for global missions Get out of this country, get out of this culture, and go see what God is doing around the world. You might be thinking, I don't have the finances. Like, don't let finances stop you. Like, if you've got kids, if they're mature enough, take them with you. But I just, I envision a moment in which every single one of us, we've gotten out of this culture. We've seen what God is doing around the world. And we have a list of, of College Park vision trips back there that you can do and take. But I want to strongly encourage you to consider and, and to pray about going on a College Park Fisher specific vision trip next October to Laos. Just want you to think about that, to pray about that. There'll be a, an informational meeting uh, on January 22nd to learn more about what that looks like. But we would love for you to take a vision trip and to see what God is doing around the world. And then lastly here, I guess I only had five. Um, number five, AKA sermon's getting long here. Um, see what I did there. Um, number five, adopt a missionary family in your small group. Okay, we've, we've traditionally done Barnabas groups, and we want to keep Barnabas groups that pray for missionaries, that see what their needs are, and they're in contact with them, and we're going to keep those. But, man, we have 90% of our members in small groups here, which is amazing. And we have, what, 25 small groups just imagine if, if each small group adopted a missionary to pray for them and to know their needs and, and just brought that to the forefront of your people's minds every time that you met. Imagine what that would do, not only for your own heart, but also to bless our missionaries. So consider adopting a missionary family for uh, your small group. So that's five. So I'm done with that. Now, I want you to think and pray, and even as you leave here today, and we're going to sing another song in a moment, of just what is your next step? Like thinking about, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my heart? How can I further engage with this? Because the amazing reality is that the God of all the nations doesn't need you, but he wants you. He loves you. He wants to use you and to invite you to be part of his mission to reach the nations. And you know what's so amazing about it? It doesn't just give us harsh commands 
just cold commands, hey, go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He actually lavishes blessing and grace upon us to then motivate us to go and give that same grace to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. And so as we close in this last song, just just continue to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and where he might lead you. So let's pray together. God, we do give you praise for just who you are, Lord. God, that you are seated on the throne, that there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of angels that are declaring the praise of your name. And God, we join in on them on a Sunday morning as a church family, and we declare that same praise, that you and you alone are holy. God, you and you alone sit high above the heavens. And yet, Lord, you still intervene and you engage with your people. And Lord, you've been moving this morning. We pray that by your spirit that you would continue to move. God, would you stir in us a passion and a longing to further engage with what you're doing around the world. So God, continue to move, continue to work, even in this moment now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.